Hey everybody, welcome to the Afterward. I'm Dave Tish. I I gotta hurry up with this intro because it is late Saturday night, and I just got back from a wedding. I was actually the officiant at this wedding. It was amazing, super fun. Uh, I love weddings. I love social gatherings, but man, weddings are the best. And I'm buzzing from excitement. I got to record this this intro before I crash because it is way way past my bedtime. Okay, so uh, anyway, just first of all, congratulations to Deb and Efren. Man, we are so excited for you guys. Just it was so awesome being at your wedding. Second of all, I had this experience at this wedding and and I don't know how to process it. So when I was growing up, like I'm 15, 16, 17, I'm going to my first weddings. I remember that the DJ would always start off the the dancing of the night. He's like, all right, let's open up the dance floor. And he would play some super lame song from like the twenties. It was like boop, just super lame. It was like for the octogenarians in the room. I mean, just the lamest music. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is the worst music. And all the young people are like, when they're going to start playing Usher, right? So fast forward, last night, the DJ, who was excellent, by the way, started off and he said, all right, let's open up the dance floor. And this was the song that he started. This was the song he first played. Like that, that, that's Whitney Houston. I, I know that song. That is that I had an album. And then I thought to myself, oh no, I am the old people at this wedding. I'm the old people. So that was super depressing. Uh, but then, you know, they play bye, bye, bye. And you know, I'm doing this tonight. You know, it's probably going to start a fight, but that's, that's all right. I uh, just want to say thanks to all the young people that are very cool at the wedding too, like Hayden and Jono, Rachel Hughes, Rachel Scott. You guys are cool. Thanks for hanging out with me, even if I'm old and lame. Anyway, okay, let's get into it. Here's what I want to actually talk about. We're uh, A couple of years ago, there was a story. Uh, there was a, a, a man on a flight. It was a, a Qantas Air flight. Qantas Air, I, I think that's Austra- Australian for plane. Anyway, uh, he was on this flight, and this woman across the way um, noticed him and was really instantly suspicious. Now, this is kind of after 9-11, so everything's kind of heightened in tensions. So she actually calls 911 or the equivalent there in Australia. The authorities are alerted. They come to the plane. They stop the plane from leaving the tarmac. Um, they, they kind of go on, and there's a man that they go to, and they kind of have him deplane, and they start questioning him because of his suspicious activity. And they were just, you know, heightened on terrorism alerts. And the reason why they were heightened is because this older woman had seen his shirt. And his shirt, to her, contained something incredibly threatening. And the shirt said, uh, and you, you might recognize this, but uh, the shirt, his shirt said, My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And the older woman, of course, took this as a, a, a deep threat of, of terrorist activity. Now... Of course, if you know, that's actually one of the more famous lines from The Princess Bride, where Mandy Patinkin's character, Inigo Montoya, is stating his desire for vengeance for the man, the six-fingered man who killed his father, right? And this is what he would say. I dedicated my life to the study of fencing. 
So the next time we meet, I will not fail. I will go up to the six-fingered man and say, Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And I was thinking about that. That actually might be the most famous sentence ever uttered in, in our cultural lexicon for vengeance, because that's the whole thing that uh, Inigo Montoya is after. He's after vengeance. And this is the, the subplot, uh, driving subplot for that character. It's not just uh, Princess Bride. I mean, The Equalizer 3 just opened a couple of weeks ago, and that's a story about vengeance, right? And then there's uh, John Wick, of course. It's that The whole basis of that is vengeance. Somebody killed his dog. That's a lot of death for... That's a lot of killing for a dog, John Wick. I'm just saying. The most popular movie franchise, not just of our lifetime, but of, any t- of all time, is, is actually called The Avengers. So, I mean, this is a cultural narrative that's woven right into our culture. And in addition to that, I was thinking about this. Uh, Shakespeare, one of the greatest storytellers and, and, and playwrights of all time, think about how many of his famous stories actually involve vengeance. Like, there's Romeo and Juliet, right? Two households both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, right? This is a story about vengeance. And then Hamlet. Hamlet starts off with the ghost of Hamlet's murdered father saying, revenge this foul and most unnatural murder, right? This is a supernatural apparition telling Hamlet vengeance. And then, or Othello. Othello is about uh, uh, Iago destroying a community and destroying Othello. But why does he do it? He does it. There's this moment where uh, Iago just turns to the audience and says, I hate the Moor, right? He's saying, I hate, I hate Othello. I hate the, I hate this guy. And uh, that's why, so it's all about personal vengeance. The idea of personal vengeance just flows through um, a lot of our popular imagination. And it, it often masquerades as justice. But today I've got Jay Kim. We're going to talk about how vengeance and justice are not the same. And how vengeance is actually diametrically opposed to a key value in Jesus' kingdom. And that's forgiveness. Vengeance and forgiveness are actually opposite. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the interrelation between forgiveness and justice. How if you forgive, it doesn't mean you, there, the justice can't be done. We're going to delve into all that. It's sticky. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And we're going to go into Matthew 18 where Jesus teaches on this. So let's just dive right in. Well, I want to open up with a story. Can I tell you a story? Um, it has to do with our topic. So, oh, are we starting? Right yeah, now? we're starting. Oh, it caught me off guard. I did. I didn't mean to. Okay, ready. You ready? All right. So, um, I was a junior in high school, and there was a guy named Brian. And I'm not saying I was friends with Brian. He was like one of those people I was kind of near. And so, well, we come over to my house after school. You know. We'd, whatever watch animaniacs or whatever we yeah. did <laughs> eat p- pizza right and um i started weirdly noticing things disappearing from around uh-oh. my house Uh oh and uh i was like well that's weird like i i just gotten paid from work and all of a sudden there's not as much yeah. money in my wallet or yeah. like this thing was missing or that thing was missing and uh eventually it got to the point where i had a harry connick jr cd 
now. I know that's, it seems, I loved Harry Connick Jr. I thought he was great. Okay. And so, but when I got it for Christmas, my parents gave it to me as I was bringing it over to like my grandparents' house. I dropped it outside and and the case had a very particular circular scratch on it. So when he, I went into his, I was over at his house and I saw, and I couldn't find my Harry Connick Jr. seat and I see my Harry Connick Jr. CD on his desk. Yeah. And I realize, wait, what? Like, this is mine. So I kind of, I don't confront him on it, but I know now for a fact he's stealing from me. Right. And like, once that trust is broken, it's over. Yeah. But it wasn't just that. My dad comes in my room. He's like, hey, this so-and-so thing. It's a thing from his office. It was kind of like an heirloom that had Uh-oh. been missing. Yeah. And I talked to my buddy Scott and he's like, yeah, he's, he's stealing from you. And so my dad and I went over to his house and we like confronted him and we said, hey, here's what's been going on. His dad was there. And here's, here's the situation. Yeah. Here's, here's all the, here's all the things that he's stolen. And my dad's just like, I'd like it back, please. You know, mm-hmm. just, we're not going to do it. We just need, you know, this is what's happening. Yeah. Well, Brian's dad was a lawyer and he's like, get off our property. If you oh, ever wow. come on our property, we will press charges. You must leave immediately. Wow. And I've never been so like upset. Right. So that kicked off a giant feud between me and Brian for the rest of our junior year. And it was bad. Oh my goodness. So the point was we would go back and forth and back and forth, but it escalated. And one day I opened up my locker and Brian worked at a local vet hospital. Oh no. And he had collected dozens, nay hundreds of stool samples from the local animals. And he put them in my locker in between each book and binder. Oh, and it was, yeah. Cause he, I, I didn't lock, you know, like when you're in high school, you don't really lock your lock on yeah, your locker. Yeah. You just kind of leave it open, you know, so you can just, Oh my gosh. And man. so that was, and so my point is Brian, if you're out there, well, well, no, no, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I hope that Brian isn't listening. Uh, wait, what were you going to say? I don't know, man. Give that Harry Connick junior CD back. <laughs> It had to be you that stole my CD. It had to be you. Uh, here's the question. So my point is that vengeance gets nowhere. Yeah. And it it's, destruct- and- it's destructive. Yeah. And we're here to talk about one of the more difficult passages in the Bible, I think, for mm-hmm. people at a personal level, and that's the, the doctrine of Christian forgiveness, where yeah. Jesus talks about this. And the point I'm trying to make is that vengeance actually is almost unquestioned by our culture as a virtue because right. it seems linked to justice, yeah. which is something that's a deep- Yeah, we don't call it, we don't like to call it vengeance. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we more often will use justice language, but biblically speaking, I mean, that's another conversation for another time. We've taught on it before. Yeah, God is a God of justice for sure. And humans have a, a need for yes. justice when so, something wrong happens. Yeah, so we that's yeah. a it's a good place to start in some ways because there could be the potential for misunderstanding Jesus' teachings on forgiveness uh, to be something along the lines of just let injustice sort of have its way and you just sort of lay down like a doormat. Right. And let others lay down like doormats. Right. And that's the way of Jesus. Just continue right. to be pummeled by injustice. You know, that's not that's not forgiveness. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's certainly not the way of Jesus. The Bible's really clear about justice, about God being a God of justice and his uh, 
invitation to us but to work we, what you're saying is we shouldn't pit justice and forgiveness against each other they're like not, they're exclusive no, no. actually i think they dance together and in fact on the cross you've got a perfectly just god and a perfectly forgiving god yes so that's the, that's the weird paradox that's the pinnacle you see both yeah, yes the justice of god and his unfathomable forgiveness for the sins of the world all in the same moment in the same place in the same person right um, so is, yeah. is, let me ask you a question. Is forgiveness and vengeance, are those opposite things? Yes. Okay. So talk about that. Yeah. I mean, vengeance is, we said it in the teaching, <clears throat> lots of ways to think about it. Vengeance is, I, I would put it this way, that vengeance is the, uh, sort of relentless pursuit of perceived equity, like the manufacturing of what we think might be equitable. You mean fairness? Fairness yes. is a good way to put it. The danger of that um, is because, again, a much longer conversation, but because of the brokenness and fallenness and sinfulness of human beings and human existence and creation itself as it is now, um, it is vengeance is never satisfied. It's just never satisfied. You know. Uh, well, you see this with kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, you've got a son and a daughter, so let's say that Simon actually does something to Harper and you yes. say, let's say he pinches her mm -hmm. and hurts her. And you say, Hey Harper, you can pinch him back, but only so much as he hurt you. Right. She's going to pinch him back with interest. Right. Right. And then, which will then turn to, which well, will, to, be fair, to be fair, I got to pinch I must her. Now pin yeah. Cause and that's, that's, what, that's what humans do. Right. Yeah. And that's the world. I mean, you know, that's just the world. read the news. Right. Right. <laughs> um, there's a reason why, we have 12 years worth of Avengers movies and then in Endgame they avenged but now we have more Avengers movies <laughs> you know what i mean it is <laughs> i never thought about that I avenger mean, the avengers is about and yeah. we celebrate it and we you know and yeah. and yeah, it's a movie and i enjoy them and whatever captain america chris evans rest in peace whatever but not that Chris Evans didn't die. I mean, like Captain America as oh, a character I see, in, the, I see. in the films. Okay, but what I'm spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a never-ending cycle. You yeah, know? and we talked about it in the teaching. Yeah. I mean, Jesus is teaching about no, don't forgive seven times. Forgive seventy-seven times. That's not like a literal. You don't keep tabs. Like, okay, this is my forty-eighth time <laughs> forgiving. I got twenty-nine so. more yeah, times yeah. to forgive this guy, and then I'm done. Jesus, <laughs> you know that's not what he means. He's allude. He is essentially deconstructing an ancient story and reconstructing it to to. Um, cast a brand new vision for life in, in his kingdom. And the ancient is, story you're talking about is from Genesis 4. Yeah, is very it? early. So it's very, very early in the story. We meet a character named Lamech. Yeah. Who's, uh, this is something you pointed out to me. His name in Hebrew is, is king spelled backwards. Yeah. So it's like an evil or upside down king. Yeah. And he. And this is very shortly after the beginning of the story when God creates humans to be his agents in the world. Essentially to be kings on earth. King and queen. And uh, and then it's the reversal of all of that because of sin and yeah. So he he basically says, "Look, um, and I, I don't have the biblical test." He says um, to his wives, "Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for even hurting me or wounding me, or wounding me, which yeah. is of course an unjust situation." It's he's saying, "Not fair. It's not fair." Yeah. He's saying somebody hurt me and I kill. I killed, killed that guy. Yeah. He says, "I've killed a young man for injuring me." Yep. 
And he's boasting about this. And he's boasting. And he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then I, Lamech, the evil king, will avenge 77 times. Yeah, it's poetic. He's not, it's not literal numbers. But he's saying it's like 10 times. Yeah, yeah. The seven times (laughs) he's talking about his ancestor, his great, great, great grandfather, Cain. He's referring back to God showing Cain, not vengeance, but mercy. So this is a distortion of... So, uh, I mean, this like gets into the weeds. We talked about it in the teaching on Sunday, but basically Cain, who is the son of Adam and Eve has a younger brother, Abel. Most people know this story. And uh, what does Cain do? Cain, we talked about this two weeks ago in the teaching, you know, um, Cain essentially uh, thinks that his brother Abel is receiving favor from God that he's not receiving. He gets super angry. He kills his younger brother and then God banishes him. He's like, you're going to be a wanderer throughout the land and you're going to toil and sweat and work the land, but it's not going to bear you fruit. And Cain says, I can't bear this. This is too much. I mean, think about, think about that. You just murdered your brother. And now God is saying, this is mercy, by the way, without even God saying mercy. The fair thing would have been to kill for Cain to be killed. Yeah. That's and fair. That's equitable. Life for a life. Yeah. But that's not what God does. God shows him mercy. He's like, okay, you killed your brother. I'm not going to kill you, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to wander the land forever, and you're going to work really hard, but you're not going to bear much fruit. That's your consequence, which is an incredible mercy. And Cain says he doesn't recognize the mercy. He's like, dude, God, this is too much. This, you're not being fair, essentially is what he says. And then God inexplicably, inexplicably shows more mercy. And he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to make sure that nobody harms you. If anybody tries to kill Cain, which is actually the fair thing for him to die. If anyone tries to have vengeance on Cain, essentially, then I will avenge. I will punish that person seven times over. So it's like seven times the mercy God is showing Cain. And then Cain's great, great, great grandson, Lamech is like he kind of twists. He and twists it. it. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, if I'm Cain, a man of vengeance. Cain, he forgets that God had shown Cain mercy. That's what it was about. Yeah. He forgets that part. He's like, yeah, if if Cain's going to be avenged seven times, you know how much I'm going to be avenged seventy seven times, which is not a literal number. He's basically saying like ten x what my ancestor right. was avenged. So know? let me ask you a question on this because one of the things that's weird about this is that vengeance. Um, or people getting what their just desserts actually yeah. feels really Did good. Did you say just desserts? Yeah, well, what they deserve. Yeah, I know, th- but... That's the, that's the expression. But I like it, just desserts. That's on, that's the name of <laughs> Jay and I's new bakery. It's opening on Saratoga Avenue. It's called Just Desserts. <laughs> Try our tiramisu it's on sale every Unbelievable. Thursday. Just yeah. desserts. Our lemon tart is to die for. Uh, so, okay, so yeah. my, my son, when, is, he's kind of growing. One of the things we loved, uh, and this is going to sound a little weird, he loved Tarantino's movies. Oh, yeah. Because it's like like movies like Inglorious Bastards or um, Django Unchained. Yeah. These movies where evil people get what's coming to them. Yeah. It's like so There's deep, a sort of satisfaction. It's a in deeply it. satisfying. Yeah. Or even like movies like The Equalizer, which just came out with um, Equalizer Denzel 3. Washington. Yeah. It's like this, or John Wick. It's like yeah. the bad guys had yes. it coming. Yeah. And there's this revenge fantasy yes. that is like weirdly satisfying. Yeah. But it's fiction because in real life, it doesn't work that way. Right. It's not actually satisfying. Or even, yeah, exactly. And even when circumstances play out that way, 
Um, John Wick's dog is still dead, man. Right. right. The puppy's still gone. <laughs> right. You can't bring it back. Right. It's gone. But even when it is satisfying in real life, the part of us as humans that is experiencing the satisfaction is a very dehumanized part of it. Ah, uh, so are. it's our flesh or it's, a bad part. Yeah. Yes. It's the part, it's the, yes. it's the Lamech part of us. Ah, uh, that's like, yeah. yeah. Seven so times that is, you hurt me. Yeah. I'm going to kill you. And, and I mean, you read his words in Genesis four. There's, he's boasting about it. Yes. There's clearly a depth of satisfaction for him, but it's vile and it's evil and it's subhuman. And it's also, in some ways, if you if you look how that would play out, what happens next is the world becomes evil upon evil upon evil till we get to the point with Noah. Yeah, where this society is, one of, is yeah, so wicked. Exactly. This is one of the early parts of a longer trajectory in Genesis three to eleven, where humans spiral where it's down. Just the de- yeah, it's the sort of deforming of God's vision for what humans or are away to be. from the imago dei, the image bearers yes. that God wanted subhuman. human, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, not human, subhuman, dehumanizing, human, yeah. whatever the right word might be. Yeah. Okay, so if that's the case for vengeance, yeah, how is that juxtaposed to forgiveness? How is forgiveness the opposite of that? Yeah. Well, again, if you go back to Cain and his interaction with God, forgiveness is not um, explicit in the story. But mercy is. God shows Cain undeserved mercy. Isn't is that forgiveness? Is mercy forgiveness? Well, Jesus seems to indicate in the story he tells the parable yeah. about the king yes. and the ser- the the wicked servant who is forgiven much but refuses to forgive even a little to another person. Um, the near the end of the story, like we talked about on Sunday, Jesus uses the word mercy. You receive so much mercy, but you were not able to extend that mercy, even a little bit, you know? So I think the two are yet yeah, intricately yeah, tied. connected. And um, that's what Jesus is doing when he says, when Peter's like, Peter thinks he's awesome, and he's like, should I give, for, should I forgive seven times? That's a lot, you know? And Jesus is like, seven? No. 70 times seven, you know? Like, but again, it's not a number. He's not doing like, so like, get a piece of paper and just draw a line every time you forgive. Once you hit that number, (laughs) you're good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 no. You don't get it. It's like, he's almost blowing that concept up. It's like, it's not the, it's not the number. You, you must be a person of forgiveness. So a vengeance is trying to actually enact a little bit of pain plus interest. Yeah. Forgiveness gives that up entirely. Yeah. It's a willingness to, um, bear bear the brunt of unfairness or right you know inequitability right um well i mean I've, the word itself yeah. forgive it is to give before you know what i mean which is mercy <clears throat> that that's mercy right mercy is always yeah. undeserved it's unearned it's often um not even asked for you know and uh, I think that's really powerful because there are a lot of, as we talked about on Sunday, there are a lot of people in our lives, in my life and in your life, who I think Jesus is calling us to forgive now. But they, that person has not really asked for our forgiveness. They haven't confessed. They haven't acknowledged they're wrong. In fact, they may, they may even believe they're in the right, even though they really hurt us and harmed us. And this is really hard. This is, I think... 
a part of why you said earlier that it's one of the hardest texts in the Bible. It's not one of the hardest texts because it's so complicated or theologically, you know, complex. It's hard because it's super hard to do. It's really hard to live out, you know, to forgiveness is, you know, reconciliation is a, is a, it's a dance that two people do, but forgiveness is a, it's a solo act. You can forgive and you're called to forgive. Even if the other person is like, yeah, totally in the, in the wrong and doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about two things because I do think it's difficult. I remember when my son was like two or three, we went on this family vacation and my parents-in-law had rented like a VRBO. Yeah. And justice, we like, he was sleeping in the car. And before we even went in, we like took every knickknack, everything of value. We took picture, we removed it so he couldn't break or do any damage to the house. Right. Yeah. And the second he walks in, he toddles to the, like their home office and there's like a printer and he grabs the printer and like rips on and breaks off the paper tray. Mm. And, and like within three seconds, he's done $250 worth of damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, great. Yeah. And uh, my point is in that either somebody's got to pay for that. Either the homeowner yes. has to say, hey, I'll absorb Forgiven. that cost yeah. or I have to pay. So, but, yeah. but or it wasn't your fault. But or yeah. the homeowner could say it's OK, but then he doesn't have a printer that yeah. works because yeah. my son just destroyed it, you yeah. know. So um, basically what I did is I said, Justice, you're going to pay me. So he owes me $250. <laughs> now that he can earn money, he right. has to pay me back. Right. That's that's the way that rolled. Yes. Because uh, I believe in the biblical. No, I'm just, I had to absorb it. The yeah. whole point is you right. have to absorb it. And I think that the whole point of forgiveness is it's the reason it's so painful is it costs so much from yes. us. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, I, I, I'd like to talk about the difference what Jesus is talking about with Christian forgiveness and what you and I might call like the, the world or the culture's view of forgiveness. Because a lot of times when I hear forgiveness talked about, most of the time, it's basically something like all the all the books, all the talking heads or something like, um, is that old quote by Carrie Fisher, like poison or bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm. Um, was that a Carrie yeah, Fisher quote? Uh, yeah, from like uh, Princess Leia. Yeah, Princess Leia. She's the one who first coined. I've that. heard that quote so many times, but I thought it was like some profound. Yeah, it was from guru. one of her memoir postcards from the Edge. I think. Oh wow, uh, Carrie Fisher. It was Carrie yeah. Fisher, Princess I Leia, be like Gandhi or something. That's <laughs> Princess, well, Princess Leia and Gandhi are linked in my head. They're both. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> That'd be really weird if they were. They fought against the Empire. They did. Sorry, Ooh. sorry for all of our British friends out there. <laughs> Other similarities between Dan, uh, Dan Bladen. They're both famous for their hairstyles. My buddy Dan Bladen <laughs> at Westgate. He's angry with me right now. Long live, long live the king, Dan. <laughs> Queen, king now. King. It's king now. Okay. Um, okay. So, what, I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> no, you were. I, I know where you were going. You were basically saying culturally, and oh I yes, think this culturally. is right. Culturally, when we think about forgiveness, even in the healthiest ways, culturally it becomes a sort of the Carrie Fisher quote, right? What, what basically it's like, like it's a way for me to get free, to free myself yes, and to eradicate myself from the toxicity that is you and what you've caused. And so I'm going to forgive you so that, so yeah. it doesn't hurt me now. I'm not, not necessarily wrong or bad. Now I'm not saying that's not true. Yeah. And that is true. Yeah. I think forgiveness it really, it really does hurt us. It is free. But that and is, it is freedom it, to, yes. to forgive. It's an unshackling. But sometimes there's an edge to that. And that's basically like, um, you'll hear this when somebody, uh, a lot of times in, the number one thing I encountered when I was a youth pastor or with young adults is 
um, in a relationship, somebody cheats on somebody. Yeah. So it's like, don't let him, don't let her keep you down. Right. Like they're dirt. Okay. You're better than them. You're right. better. You're just better. You got to rise above. Right. It's, it's very, <laughs> wow. It's very Taylor really Swift. Good at no, that, no, man. I'm just saying it's, that's yeah, kind of very weird. Swifty, which is true. Now we have all the Brits and Taylor Swift oh, fans, not which me. we've gone from 8% anger <laughs> to 97% anger because we hit all the Taylor Swift fans. My point in that is that, um, although it is true that it, there is a therapeutic edge to this, yes. that's not the reason in the parable that Jesus gives for forgiving. That's right. So there's a theological dimension. Talk about that. The reason Jesus gives for, for forgiving is not so that this servant that's been forgiven might be freed or, or you know, or, or that yeah. he, the great King might be freed of whatever. Yeah. Um, the servant is punished because he does not extend to another what he has received. Right. So biblically speaking, and according to Jesus' teachings, the way of Jesus is that we forgive primarily because we are a forgiven people. And we have been given, uh, I love in the story, uh, and you you didn't get into this, but uh, I'd love to hear you talk. Jesus basically says the king forgives this guy I think it's 10,000 talents, which is basically like 10,000 years wages, Yeah, which is, I did, if a year's wage is $100,000, that's a billion dollars. Jesus yeah. is almost saying this, the debt that this man has been forgiven is yeah. uh, infinite. It's an infinite debt. Yeah. Like even maybe the emperor of Rome didn't have this much money, right? right? That right. kind of idea. Jeff Bezos does though. <laughs> so you think actually Jesus is kind of being funny in this or? Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't just think, yeah, people have written about Oh, that. it's interesting. That sometimes Jesus will use ludicrous language, and that was a form of humor. Well, oh, that's interesting. In the so he's kind of like world. being a prophetic stand-up comedian. Yeah, I mean, essentially what Jesus is saying, if you look at the, the numbers that he refers to, he basically tells a story where this king forgave this guy a, a gazillion yeah. bajillion dollars. Right, a billion bucks. And then the guy refused to forgive another dude of a hundred dollar debt. Oh, like yeah. that's the yeah, story yeah, that yeah. the Delta is just yeah. so ludicrous, you know? But I think the point he's trying to make is, is that for Christians, for followers of Jesus, right? The reality of our existence is built and based on the foundation that we have been forgiven an unfathomable debt, a debt that had we tried to pay with the entirety of our lives could not, still could not yeah. pay. Right. We've been forgiven that. And that's not a one-time deal. That's like literally the reality of our life now and our life for all of eternity is built on that truth that we have been forgiven much. So that's why we forgive. That's why followers of Jesus forgive because we have received such a tremendous forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and that's what Jesus seems to indicate here. So, so there's your a point, theological reflection on yeah. this. And that, and that is what, and, and my, and I, again, I can only speak for myself in my life when I've been wronged and I need to forgive, that is what softens me, which gets me off of myself yeah. and my own self preoccupation with how wounded I've been yeah. and allows me to be softened because I realize my standing. Yeah. I realize what God has done. I realize my debt person yeah and that is what makes forgiveness for me possible yeah and that it's only in that reflection because everything else is just like almost like fleshly right does that make sense yes so yeah. i don't know if that's been your experience yeah agreed that. i totally agree and it comes back to what we were talking about early on in the conversation 
if vengeance is this relentless pursuit of perceived equity, yeah. but it always goes beyond that. Um, forgiveness, according to the way of Jesus, is a deep abiding awareness of the fact that we have the life we have because God is not fair. <laughs> yeah. He does not treat us yeah. as our sins demand we be treated. Yeah. And if that's true. And that word is grace. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And if that's true, then what is the only appropriate response? It is to try our best every day and fail along the way for sure, but to do our best every day to be a people who don't seek, you know, equity and fairness yeah. in all of the wrong wrongs that are done to us, but to be a people who, who try to embody the sort of grace and mercy of the forgiving God who has given us life. One final thought. The, the work you've just talked about is hard work. It's, it's, and sometimes, as we talked about in the teaching, sometimes we don't feel it for a while. Yeah. We make that decision. It is a choice to relinquish, the, the, to not want to hurt the person. Yeah, that was a thought you added to our teaching, which I think is so important that we said it because I think it's actually a, a widely misunderstood amongst Christians as well. That, feel, that forgiveness is some sort of feeling primarily of like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay with that person. We're good, you know? Yeah. Like, and the hope is that someday you get there, for sure. That's another conversation. But you know, forgiveness is a, is a disciplined action and decision yeah. you take now. For me, it's a, it's, um, it's a process of, of not um, obsessing over what that person did to me not talking about it to other people and not lording it over them when yeah. I see them. If I can get to that point, those three actions actually begin to release it. That's That's been right. helpful. Let me ask you one final question before we go. Um, one of the things that is a little confusing to me about the scriptures is when you look at all of Jesus's teachings on forgiveness, sometimes it seems like an incredibly private thing that you and God do. Like he says, if you're at the temple and making your offering and you realize you've you know, that somebody has something you have to forgive in that moment, your brother. And if you've done something to them, you have to go to them. So then it's like, wait, wait. So is it personal with just God or, and there's another verse where he says, if your brother comes to you and they repent, then it's your obligation to forgive them. So is it conditional at all upon the other person? For, or is there some sort of communal or social dimension to forgiveness? Because it seems like if, if you do something to me, that's wrong. Or let's do it. Let's do it the other way. Let's say I, 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 I harm you. I wrong you in some way. Um, I've actually incurred a debt to you. Mm -hmm. And so first you have to forgive me, but then there's also still the debt. So yeah. like, is it sometimes, is there a social dynamic to this? Yeah. I or mean, is that all reconciliation that's completely not related to forgiveness? No, I mean, obviously they're related. I think you're, what you're talking about is the spectrum that connects forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, you know, on two ends. Oh, you said the spectrum. So it's like a grade scale. That's, yeah. That's interesting. I don't think that one switches to the other yeah, very that's cleanly. That's interesting. I think forgiveness is the starting point mm. because forgiveness is a, it begins as a solo venture. You do that. You can do that. It doesn't matter if the other person is like still evil and vile and whatever. You can still forgive. Yeah. Um, but reconciliation, as we talked about briefly in the teaching is the other end of that spectrum. Reconciliation always takes two. Um, 
It's, it's, you have to dance with a partner. So you can, in any situation, we can only move so far. Sure. But for reconciliation to occur, the other person, the wrongdoer has to move inward as well and meet us. You know, I right. don't want to say in the middle, but they have to meet us at a certain point. Well, they point have to repent. Where, yeah. They have to acknowledge exactly. the hurt. They have to change their behavior. Right. Right. Um, so, right. And I think that's one of the reasons why naming, confronting the wrong, naming it, and addressing it with a wrongdoer can help. It in can that. be really helpful. It because can be. Right. It can. It, it it shows that you are willing in some way to try to connect. To begin taking yeah. a few steps yes. in that direction. Yes. But if you do that work before you've forgiven them, you will come to that person with vengeance and bitterness, yep. and that will always go poorly. Yeah, or as we talked about in the teaching, you will leave yourself in harm's way without doing the necessary work uh, of naming the harm. Yeah. So where this shows up a lot, you know, it's it's really hard to talk about. But in cases of domestic violence, mm. what you hear a lot is, well, they they said they're sorry, and they really love me, and. So you it's know, best to pretend like this doesn't exist. It just, it's right. over. It's and over. I, I've forgiven Let's not them. think I've, about it. Yeah. I've forgiven them. And they, no, I, I know it's just like, man, he had a bad day or. And that seems Christian, but you're saying it's it actually seems not. Christian. It's not because if, if they, if the other party, if the wrongdoer has not displayed a very clear willingness by way of re- confession, repentance, repentance and change and pra- yeah, yeah, actual disciplined practice of change, if they have not shown that, if all they've said is words don't mean much if they're not backed up with actions, all they said was like, oh, I'm sorry, I love you. You know, yeah. um, Then you're allowing them to continue as that abuser and that's bad mean, for them. Which and means you. you are allowing them and you are, you are propagating their sin, the space yeah. in which they can continue yeah. Um, yeah. dehumanizing yeah. behavior, dehumanizing to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Because again, going back to right. Lamech, it's it's but, subhuman. Yeah, You're Lamech less is, than is human. subhuman, and what he does is subhuman. Yeah. Right. So um, that's good stuff. That's important to say. If if you can forgive, and out of forgiveness, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to leave. Yeah. You know, and let the person sit in their consequences until such time. Yeah. Or sometimes you can forgive and then call the police. Yes. Forgive and call to account. It's and, best for you. But if and you best don't do the forgiveness part first, you'll move into vengeance and then it's just, it's not healthy. Right. Yeah. Right. So, well, there's probably a lot more to say on this. This is, yeah. this is hard work. Yeah. And so if we, I know that there are people listening, will you close us and pray for the folks who at the end of this, they kind of know that there's some work they need to do. Right. So I just want to pray for the folks listening because this is hard work and I believe it's spiritual work. And I think it's only the kind of work that we can do with God's spirit. Yes. So I just want to pray for the folks who are going through a hard time. And when, when I say that some, when we talk, you and I talk about someone that you might need to forgive, there's someone who's very clearly done some real work. So I just thought we could close with a a word of prayer for those folks. Yeah. And then we'll, uh, and then we have other resources we've, we talked about in the teaching and we'd love, we'd love to come alongside you if you need more support, but let's just pray for the folks right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your, um, immense, really unimaginable mercy and grace in our lives. We're so grateful that your nature is to forgive. Um, 
that you are slow to anger, and that you are abounding in love, that you're full of compassion. We pray, uh, we just want to pray from the middle of our hurts and our pains. I think everybody listening and watching um, can probably think of a person or two or a dozen or more um, who've hurt us. Maybe, maybe there are people in our lives who are currently hurting us, causing immense pain. Um, there, there are people from our past whose um, harm has uh, affected us in ways that um, leave us still today uh, shaken up and uh, damaged. And I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with Dave, with what Dave said. Um, God, I just admit to you, it's not in my power to be able to truly forgive them. It just feels like an impossible task. And I know that's true for many of us. So we ask today in this moment right now that God, by your spirit, um, you would empower us to begin forgiving those who have wronged us, to not lord it over them, to not hold bitterness and antagonism toward them, um, to live in such a way to, to not allow them to dehumanize themselves through continued abuse, um, to, to have the courage to speak out and to seek help and to find safe places in safe spaces as we need it, but ultimately, God, to um, embrace the reality of your immense forgiveness in our lives and to allow that reality to overflow out of us into forgiveness of those who have wronged us and even those who've wronged us in significant ways. And we know that, um, as we said, it's not always going to feel like it. We're not always going to have happy, positive feelings toward those who've wronged us, but we know that in spite of that, we can still forgive. Uh, we can still extend the forgiveness we've received from you toward others. So we ask that you would give us the power and the strength to do that today. Um, and we pray this uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, whose death on the cross embodies the sort of forgiveness that uh, we want to live out in our everyday lives. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jay. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Join us next week when we're going to be continuing on in Matthew with one of the more famous and recognizable sayings of Jesus, but one of the crazier ones where he says it's actually easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I don't know how, but that's an incredible piece of hyperbole. We're going to dig into that next week. So join us for that. We'll see you soon.